Knowledge is power. And while that may seem like a cliche, the saying is true. Knowledge is power. Today, attackers learn from infiltrating systems and glean as much knowledge and capabilities as possible to where they may know the system they're attacking better than the victim. We all know and if an attacker wants to get into a system, there'll be no stopping them. But with the right technology and the right people behind that technology, it is possible to see an attack either happening or about to happen, and then be able to stop it. Hello, my name is Greg Hale, and welcome to another Today with ISS Source podcast. With me today is Paul Griswold, Chief Product Officer for OT Cybersecurity at Honeywell, and we're going to talk about gaining better visibility into OT cybersecurity. Welcome, Paul. Greg, thanks so much for having me. I've, I've got to say, I think this may be my very first podcast, so it's an honor to do it with you today. No better place to do it than here at Today and with ISS Source. We'll start off, Paul, in, in this age of increased digitalization, more companies are obviously increasing connectivity across the manufacturing enterprise, which is increasing the attack surface. Are you seeing a higher level of attacks hitting the manufacturing side? Yeah, we are. So, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, some of us would like to go back to the days where we thought we had an air gap. Now, whether or not we actually had that air gap is debatable. I know that when we would do assessments for customers, we would come into customers that thought they were completely air gapped and, and we'd find two or three connections that maybe made that not so true. But in general, we are seeing some more attacks. They mostly originate on the IT side, but can quickly migrate over to the OT side. And depending on the attacker's motivation, you know, this can happen a couple of different ways. For someone who's doing a ransomware attack, they can get the benefit of the ransomware just by the threat of something jumping over to the OT side. So we, we've seen companies shut down the OT systems as a precaution uh, just because of the connectivity they now have from uh, OT and IT. So that's certainly something that is, is a, of concern. And uh, like I say, the attacks don't necessarily need to make their way all the way over to OT. Just if they're, if they're near it, then uh, many companies will just shut down OT just to be safe. Well, we saw the classic case of that with uh, Colonial Pipeline a few yep. years back where, you know, they, they shut it down and just because of an attack on the IT side, but whammo, you know, they <laughs> they really, everybody on the Eastern Seaboard pretty much felt that attack. Sure. Yeah. I live in Atlanta and I know the lines of the gas pumps were pretty long for about a week. And, and that one's particularly interesting because based on published reports, what the attackers went after was the billing system. So if you're shutting down the way to get paid for the thing you're producing, that's almost as good as shutting down the thing you're producing. I agree. And related to what you were saying, uh, attacks used to be along the line of, uh, you know, throw it up against the wall and, and see what sticks. But as you've discussed, I mean, that is changing. Um, but are you seeing attacks specifically focused on the OT environment? Now, I know you said a lot of the attacks come in on the IT side, but are you seeing OT-centric attacks? We are. So uh, we actually have a, a product here at Honeywell that is designed to protect a USB, because USB is something that you can't necessarily get rid of in OT environments. And IT, the solutions, you know, often just to shut USB ports off and, and you can use other methods to move files around. But in, in OT, you, you pretty much need to maintain USB connectivity because a lot of times that's the only way these systems are, are able to be updated. So with our SMX products, your media exchange product, we have 
scans that we do of files. We do you know over 50 million files a year that we scan looking for uh, different types of malware specifically targeted for OT. And we published a report on this about just under a year ago. A new version of the report should be coming out over the summer. But with this, we saw 52% of the malware that we detected was specifically designed to use USB. So that's a very specific OT type of an attack designed to use USB as a transport mechanism to, to get in the environment in the first place. And of the malware we found, about 81% of it could be used to disrupt the OT processes. So, you know, again, very specifically targeted to OT. About half of the malware, about 51%, was designed to establish some sort of remote connectivity outside. So once the malware gets implanted in the OT systems, it does a phone home back to the uh, the attacker's home base and allows them to open up a channel into the OT environment and, and, mm-hmm. and wreak more havoc. Mm-hmm. Now, do you find that, you know, you're using technology with the SMX product to, you know, to find these kinds of attacks, but do you find that this increase in attacks is some, is that something that people are can find or is or is with the increased digitalization that we're seeing out there does this end up being more of a technology centric approach to find these kinds of attacks so it's a bit of both so when you look at attacks at ot environments sometimes they look like it attacks and that they they trip certain logs or, or other types of telemetry that you can you can measure and pick up as you know say an IT person but other times the the effects may be less obvious so you know rather than looking at the IT oriented logs you may need to, to look at OT logs and those things are generally not as well understood by by the IT folks and the other challenge you have with with OT in general is just it tends to be behind in terms of what's being instrumented compared to the, the counterpart systems on IT so Whereas in, in the IT world, we've been running things like intrusion detection for you know 20 years now, at least. It's still a relatively new concept in, in, in OT. And even things like patching and antivirus are done very, very frequently on the IT side, you know, maybe not quite as frequently on, on the OT side. So there's the the challenge of, you know, one, just instrumenting the environment in the first place so you can get telemetry and, and have a place to look for, for signs of attacks. And then it's having the people that know what to look for, knowing what to do with that telemetry and, and recognizing the signs of, of attacks that may be specifically geared toward, toward, towards OT and have a, a bit of a different signature. Everyone, obviously, in the industry is aware of the cyber threat companies are facing on a, on a day-to-day basis. But I don't know about you, but I'm still seeing companies stuck at the starting gate. And are you seeing that? And what would it take to nudge them forward? So you mentioned Colonial um, a little bit earlier. I think that was actually a wake-up call for a lot of companies that have uh, OT type of systems. Because in the past, what we would typically see is that a CISO may, in, in at least theory, have responsibility for the OT systems. A lot of time, that responsibility extended to having a written policy and saying, please do these things. And then the OT people were you know, kind of, you know, it was up to them to actually implement the policy, but there weren't the checks and balances in place to, to make sure that the things were being rolled out and the monitoring is being done and things like that. And if you look at the OT operator's perspective, I mean, their main number one priority is safety. But beyond that, it is keeping the system up and running and producing the uh, the product that the company gets paid so much money for. So mm-hmm. cybersecurity is certainly important to them, and, and they don't want to have an attack that's going to take the system offline. But is maybe not as, as high on the priority list as, as the production. So 
But with Colonial, what we're seeing is that boards are actually holding CISOs responsible, saying, hey, you know, that, that paper policy you had in the past worked for a while, but we need actual programs around these, these OT systems, and we need to make sure that we're implementing the right tools, technologies, and people in place to, to make sure that, that we're not susceptible to an attack. So it's interesting. I mean, when we work with companies, they, they kind of fall into two categories. If you're rolling out a, a new uh, distributed control system, you have the opportunity to get it more right from the beginning. So, so we often get involved with doing planning and architecture and design and implementation. And we build things like network monitoring, asset discovery, patch management in from the get-go. Oftentimes, these newer systems are using modern technology, modern hardware, modern operating systems. So you know, a little bit, bit less of a challenge to, to implement modern programs. The majority of companies, however, they still fall into the, the category of being, you know, a bit older. The average lifespan for, a, for an OT device is about 20 years. So, you know, you think about the laptop you had 20 years ago and uh, what you need to make sure that thing is secure. So it's, uh, you know, just a, a bit of a different approach there. In these more, we'll call them brownfield type environments or environments that aren't being set up from the beginning, where we typically start with is an assessment, where we'll go in and we'll do not only a, an asset inventory and a vulnerability assessment, a network assessment, but we also do basic things like, like walking around the plant, making sure that the uh, server cabinet is locked, making sure that to get in the room, you have to have a, you know, a badge and, and, and things like that. And that's oftentimes where people will start, you know, just kind of that initial assessment. And that kind of gives them the nudge to take actions and we can help them prioritize the recommendations of, of where they need to go first, second, and third to, to get on their way to a more mature program. You know, it's it's funny. The um, Everybody talks about starting designing security in from the beginning, but in this world, in, in the manufacturing environment, related to what you're saying, I mean, pretty much everything is legacy equipment. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are greenfield plants and all that kind of thing where you can design security in from the beginning, but I mean, how can you ever get to a point where you're going to design security in if it's pretty much you're including it in all this legacy equipment? Sure. And that's where you often need to have a different type of approach because, you know, I'll give you just an example. Um, you know, Windows XP is still out in manufacturing environments more than more than I think any of us would like to admit. So with Windows XP, you're, you're not going to be able to get a patch from Microsoft anymore. It's, it's no longer uh, even an extended support. So if you're going to continue to run Windows XP, you have to design programs that put in place compensating controls. So you know that can include segmentation. That can include things like virtual patching, where, you, where you're blocking certain types of traffic on the wire before it gets to the... Uh, the vulnerable endpoint, uh, things like that. So you're right. I mean, it, it is a it is a constant battle, and e even with brand new systems, as, as soon as they're implemented and uh, up and running, you know, it's a living environment. It's not like you're you're not going to have to touch those things again. You still need to have patching programs and things like that in place. So mm -hmm. you know, it really takes almost a, a customized program and a customized approach, depending on the hardware and the software you have, and, and its exposure to other software and hardware you may have in the environment. Okay. Now, we uh, this is related to what you were saying earlier. We're, we're seeing IT and OT converging uh, closer and closer, but yet there's there are differences in their plans of attack. Is this continuing to cause issues within security teams as to how to deploy technology and people? Yeah, it sure is. So, you know, one of our... <laughs> 
one of the things that we tend to do, uh, especially for new clients, is, is we we kind of play marriage counselor between the IT and the OT teams because there's there's a lot of trust issues there. And, and those trust issues from the OT side are, are often well-placed because IT may have come in at some point and said, hey, we've got this tool that we're going to use to assess your network. And they, they run an IT-oriented tool. And it ends up knocking things over and, and causing the, the system to, to restart and, and causing all sorts of production issues. So when it comes to the, the tools, uh, we'll start with the tools, I'll get to the people. But when it comes to the tools and technology, you really have to have tools that are purpose-built for, for OT. We have a new product coming out, uh, Honeywell, called Cyber Insights, is specifically designed around this for vulnerabilities, threats, and compliance, really specifically created for that OT cybersecurity person. When it comes to the actual people involved, it, it really becomes a, a communication and, and joint training and to, to make sure that the folks in the Security Operations Center who really come more from the IT side understand the reality of, of what the OT folks are going through and, and what they're up against and, and the type of data and telemetry that their systems produce. Where we found the best success is where you we, uh, CISO is getting responsibility for all of the, the OT systems and, and needs to monitor them. Some of the, the, best, the best practices we've seen has to do with these CISOs setting up their own separate OT team and, and as a peer to the IT team. And if you can staff that OT team with people who used to work in the plants, that's going to go a long way because those people are going to have the trust of, of the folks who remain in the plants, and they're going to have the freedom to implement the proper tools and, and not just use what, what's being used over on the IT side. Now, this, this, this is a question that goes back to the basics, but do you find companies even know what devices they have working on their networks and, and to what and whom they are communicating with? If you go to a typical OT environment, what you'll find is the, the asset owners or the people running the process, they generally know the assets that are there to keep the process running. Now, that doesn't mean that all of these assets are in a nice you know, configuration management database that IT has access to, or it also doesn't mean that there's a bunch of other things, that there's not a bunch of other things in the environment that the asset owners don't know about. But uh, you know, in general, I, I think that they... they the people running the process know the devices that are involved in the process. Mm -hmm. However, that being said, uh, when we come in and, and we deploy something like an asset discovery tool, we'll typically find a third more assets than they thought they had. You know, sometimes it's uh, older devices that were just never taken offline. Sometimes there's maintenance equipment that, you know, maybe shouldn't be connected to the network full time in the first place. Sometimes it's remote access jump boxes from vendors. It really varies, but we do find that, that when we do implement an asset discovery system and program in place, it's often surprising to the people who are in the environment who think they know everything that's connected to the network. And in reality, there's there's a bunch of extra stuff that they, you know, when you ask them about it, they may say, oh, yeah, I know what that is, but it, it wasn't top of mind for them. Wow, 33% are pretty much, uh, they, they don't know they have 33% of the stuff that's out on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's, 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 to me, that's a pretty big number. But it is. Yeah. And, you know, keep in mind these, these, you know, these environments generally have assets in the, in the order of the hundred. So it's not like, you know, there, there are thousands of devices out there that people don't know, but you know, 30, that's still a lot of devices, a lot of things with IP addresses that uh, you probably need to be monitoring. Well, exactly. Are you still seeing uh, security in the manufacturing space being reactive compared to being proactive? Uh, you you know, having a plan and understanding what everyone and everything should be doing? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think things are trending in the right direction there. We we certainly still do run into a lot of environments that, you know, maybe they're not doing that instrumentation of their, their OT environment, so they just don't have a good feel for what's going on. And I think that, you know, in terms of the response plans, the worst time to figure out your response plan doesn't work is when you're actually trying to execute the plan in the, in the middle of responding to an attack. So tabletop exercises are just very, very important in this space. And it, it, it's critical that both IT and OT are involved in these exercises in addition to the, the normal people you would have. You know, we've seen some failures where, you know, maybe the tabletop exercise was done just with, with IT folks. And you know, when you think about an IT environment, your typical first response for a device that has been compromised or is acting strange or maybe is communicating some IP addresses you don't recognize, the first response on the IP side is usually going to be just isolate that thing from the network, do some analysis and forensics and, and go from there. Isolating from the network is probably the absolute last thing you want to do first from the OT side, especially if it's a safety system or some sort of other device that's just critical to the process. Even if it's infected, there's certain steps that you're going to want to take before you do any type of, of, of disconnection. So tabletop exercise will, will bring these things to light and it'll allow people to, to practice the response from both the IT and the OT side together. Oftentimes you'll catch potential communication issues like that before a real attack happens. Now going back to the, uh, you know, what, whatever you may or may not know you have on the plant floor. I mean, there are plenty of visibility tools out there. Are uh, and and they're doing well in the uh, market. Are manufacturing are manufacturers using them, or are they just using them those tools to find out what they have on their network? Yeah, so there there are plenty of good tools out there. Uh, we're we're partnered with Nozomi, but um, there there are some other good tools out there as well. And there are really kind of three levels of functionality these things typically have. And you know, kind of going back to the previous comment on what we've been doing in IT for twenty years. The approach that these tools take is is pretty similar in, uh, to IT tools, and that they 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 tap the network and they they passively listen to the traffic that's going uh, going on in the network. But what really sets them apart is their knowledge and understanding of OT protocols, OT devices, and things like that. If you take a you know kind of a you know basic, very good IPS box from the IT side and plug it into an OT network, it's generally not going to have the understanding of the uh, the devices and protocols that a specialized tool will, will have. In, in terms of how these are deployed, we, we see customers use them really in three different ways. Uh, probably the most basic is in that asset identification mode. So they'll plug it into their, to their switches uh, or via network taps, and it'll listen to the traffic for a week, and it'll come back with a, a list of assets that it's, it's found talking on the network. This is often a, a good starting point, and it truly is a starting point, because once you know the assets you have out there, that's where you can start to put programs in place around, you know, patching and vulnerability assessment and antivirus and all, all the other types of things that you need to do. So asset discovery is important, but uh, and it is something you need to do on an ongoing basis because of new devices potentially being plugged in. But we truly do view it as the be the beginning of the program, not not necessarily the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beyond asset discovery, we also see uh, customers using anomaly detection, and with anomaly detection. These, these different products have an understanding of protocols uh, that are used for various OT processes, and they can establish a baseline and then alert when something goes outside of that baseline. Mm -hmm. So it's something that could be useful mainly to the OT folks. IT folks aren't going to have much of an understanding of the protocols or the processes, but from an OT perspective and an operator perspective, this can be useful information. 
And then really the third mode has to do with threat detection. So with threat detection, you're uh, you know, essentially doing intrusion detection type of, of functionality. You're looking for different attacks or, or different indicators using, uh, using protocol analysis on uh, all the devices within the network. This can be of use to OT operators in some instances, but a lot of times the real value here goes to the IT folks. So, you know, if you're tracking an attack, say, across IT-OT boundaries, or, or maybe there was an attack that, that originated in, in the OT environment, if the signatures are firing on that, that can be very useful to an incident response team or even a threat hunter to uh, determine what's going on and, and what the next best options are. Now, going back to the digitalization discussion, uh, there's plenty of data coming into systems from all points. Just how can an operator or a security expert, for that matter, understand and put into proper context the truly vital data, especially in a multi-vendor environment? I mean, do they... I mean, you know, is this stuff just coming at them like the proverbial fire hose, or is it... Uh, are, is there a, are they able to ferret out the the you know the truly important information? Yeah, it's a great question, and and this is where tools like like our uh, soon to be announced Cyber Insights product comes into play because all of these different systems that are in the environment they'll produce tons of information and tons of logs, but if you don't know what you're looking for, I mean, it's you know a lot of people say it's it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. The analogy I like to use is it's like looking for a needle in a stack of needles because everything looks the same. And, and unless you have a very good way of sifting through the different data that, that's coming in and saying, hey, this is relevant, this is not relevant, then it's just going to be a bunch of data that you're not be able to get much use for. This is where we we see a lot of the challenges with, with just cybersecurity and OT skills coming into play because... When you're talking about securing OT environments, you, you're looking for somebody who's not only very skilled in cybersecurity, and, and we all know that that's a, a hard skill to find right now, but you also need to find somebody who had complements that cybersecurity knowledge with OT knowledge and can make sense of the different logs and telemetry that are coming out of the OT system, potentially match them up against IT logs and, and come up with a, a more meaningful definition of what's going on. So that's why managed services, particularly in this space, are becoming so much more popular with our own managed services uh, that we call advanced monitoring incident response is specifically designed for that that OT environment where we have created rules uh, specifically to find these these OT attack sectors. And same thing with cyber insights. So the rules we've created for that are specific to OT with using the knowledge of, of the OT and cybersecurity experts we have. Now, for years, we always talked about the three-legged stool of security, and that's people, process, and technology. But with this movement toward digitalization, it seemed to me that it's also a movement toward a more technology-driven approach to secure a manufacturing environment. Does this mean technology is really starting to... will? take over so that three-legged stool is kind of be more unbalanced and the people in the process is won't be as important as the technology is? So I think in I think with, with some of the great advancements we're seeing, it's the technology certainly is getting smarter and better, but I don't think you're ever going to cut out the people in process from the equation. So mm-hmm. you know with, with some of the the technology that's being implemented, you can get access to more information and get questions answered much more quickly than you ever have been able to before. 
but you still need somebody who is is taking a look at, at what's going on and, and making the the best decisions. On the OT side, I personally think that we are, are several years away from having a truly automated response type of environment or, or type of system in place. I think you always have that human and that process in the loop just because of what's at stake and, and the fact that if, if things go wrong, people could literally lose their lives uh, or mm-hmm. otherwise become injured or have an environmental impact or all, all the other different possible outcomes from a, a catastrophic failure in an, an OT system. With that in mind, I think you're always going to have that person in the loop. That person is going to be greatly aided by advances in technology, but ultimately the, the person is going to be the one who is, is making the uh, the best decision. Yeah, yeah. Now, I always like to end these podcasts with giving our listeners uh, some best practices. And so do you have any best practices that uh, users can employ to increase their knowledge and to help ward off kind of, uh, these cyber attacks in this age of digital, I can't even say the word, but digitalization. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> the uh, so I mean, there there really are a few things that uh, that I'd like to typically recommend to uh, to people ask the questions like this. I mean, I think the most fundamental thing you can do is to monitor your OT environments. You know, using a solution like Cyber Insights or, or something similar, where you are taking in data specific to your OT sites having a very analytical view on top of it and something that the OT operators can understand and can quickly take action on. So that's really number one. Know what you've got out there and, and make sure you're monitoring it on a continuous basis. Number two is, is really establishing the good relationship between IT and OT. And again, this isn't something that's necessarily easy to do, especially depending on the, on the history of the, the folks who are working at a particular company. There, there could be some, some bad blood between OT and IT from from things that have happened in the past. But I do think with the CISOs becoming directly responsible for the OT environment, that's starting to change a little bit and, and people are willing to, to work together on a, on a, on a more uh, consistent basis, but it is work. And I think establishing that relationship, standing up those OT specific teams, having the input of the operators and, and the plans of, of how things should be put together is you know certainly very critical. And the third thing I'll mention is just Practice, you know, practicing incident response, practicing what you do in the in the face of an attack outside of the attack itself. So having tabletop exercises or other regular exercises, at least on a quarterly basis, if not more frequently, just because the, the more repetition you get, the better you're going to get at the actual response. So the more you can practice it, the better. Well, that's about all the time we have right now. And Paul, thanks for joining us today. So for Paul Griswold, this is Greg Hale saying thanks for joining us on Today with ISS Source.